0: Thanks for listening to Bezier. Bezier is sponsored by Superhigh, online courses for code, design, and product management. Superhigh's courses can be done in your own home at your own pace. I've been a Superhigh student since 2017 and have gone from being a designer feeling alienated by the should designers code discourse to building my own sites and now even selling web design services. My favorite part of Superhigh is the community of learners. As a Superhigh student, you're added to this huge community of all the other Superhigh students filled with inspiring people from all over the world in all different places in their careers. I've gotten work there. I found podcast guests there and even made in-person friends all because of Superhigh. It's easy to get started. There's an online code editor. You can do it on your own schedule. There's built-in community of learners. It's got everything you need. Start learning to code, design, or product manage today at superhigh.com.
1: Anna, it's so good to have you on Bézier. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for inviting me.
1: <laughs> when we initially connected, I had a growing fascination and curiosity around something that you spent a lot of time studying and researching this concept of the cyborg center design. Before we dive into that, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about yourself, what you do, where you are, what you like. The floor is yours
2: sure my name is anna i'm from germany right now located in munich but i'm originally from the area around stuttgart i'm describe myself as a designer in general because i don't really have a focus on x or ui or whatever it's hard for me to put myself in one direction and i have an original background in interaction design so i started interaction design at the universities of applied sciences in Gmund in germany it's a super tiny city. I studied strategic design afterwards, because I didn't feel somehow 100% ready to start. And I found this program super interesting. And I thought when I leave now just the small city, I will um, never come back to study this again. So that's why I went for that. That's why I also came in touch with the cyborg topic. Yeah, afterwards I freelanced a bit. Now I'm working at Futurist Innovation Consultancy in Munich. So you literally said five things
1: that I'm so curious about. (laughs) Maybe we start with, oh, there's so many places to start. So the first thing that kind of jumped out at me is that you mentioned you're more of a generalist in design and then you don't focus on specifically, you know, UX or UI. What kind of led you to that path? Like instead of focusing on one thing, what do you think drives you to be uh, involved in a lot of things at once?
2: In general, I think I like understanding the whole circumstances around the topic, digging deeper, understanding more from the strategic side, the perspectives, but then the user side and I also like crafting things. What I don't really like is going super deep into design at The end, working in the long term on a product and pushing it for years, so more like being on a concept level. But I think around that and until it comes to that and making some designs for testings and just for first concepts until that point, I really understanding everything and I also like being curious in all, all the different directions because otherwise it's somehow a bit boring for me when i just am um, doing the same thing as all the time.
1: I feel like you and I share that pretty deeply actually because and maybe this is true for you but it's sort of nice seeing that full picture of something and then as soon as you dive too deep into one thing you miss the opportunity to see the inner workings of another universe. I can totally relate to that. Do you find that in your day-to-day today you get to have a lot of those experiences of seeing many different disciplines in action or is your day to day more focused on one thing at a time for a certain period and then you switch gears sort of how does that work with you and, and what you do today?
2: I think I have quite a lot of luck with the project I went into. Um, because I was on two long projects, which were more on the MPP level, and we were more in the initial phase of a project. We could steer it a lot like we wanted, while the users guided us to steer it. We could touch many levels, and I think I also had lots of luck with the people I worked together, learning from their expertise, and that they also brought me into these other directions and levels. For now, it works quite well that I can really live that the
1: things before you also mentioned you do interaction design can you describe what that
2: entails so from the background how i studied it's quite broad and it's also sometimes difficult to tell for example my parents what it is exactly or it was in the beginning and sometimes there are also parts that are surprising them when i'm telling them what i'm doing but in general it's on a digital basis interaction between human and machine that means from using design methods, designing digital systems, but also sometimes um, human interactions or or products or services. Yeah, it's quite broad, but the basis is using the methods and and designing something out of it. And that could be tools or services and things.
1: I can imagine that when you're studying a discipline that involves thinking about the human condition and designing uh, and having motivations and behaviors, in mind, things can feel like very complex or the problem you're trying to solve feels very complex. It kind of reminds me almost a little bit of UX, but then I also feel like it, it's an entire different beast of its own. Do you think it's similar to UX or is it is it very different?
2: I think the core is UX, but facing all the things in the daily life, it's going so much around it. And yeah, so I would definitely say it's the core is it, that's also going bigger. Got it.
1: I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but I had such fascination with your, um, your master thesis around cyborg-centered design, and you did talk a little bit about it. I feel like it involves interaction design, but could you tell us a little bit about what it was that you spent some years
2: researching there? Sure. So, yeah, it was our master thesis and I did it together with um, two girls I studied with, and we all had a different background. Josephine, she's a product designer, which is now doing um, illustration. Leah, she's a communication designer also right now in Canada, and I'm with my interaction design background. So we found each other as a team with those three disciplines and all decided with our master's to not really follow what our core was in the bachelor, but more going in the more theoretical work. And that was in the end also the Cyborg Center Design thesis we wrote on. And it was based on our curiosity about... This change that the human is doing and shifting more into technical human being, it's merging more with technology. I think the one movement is humans become more robot-like and robots become more human-like. And when there is not really a boundary more visible between those, then it's like this fulfillment of this transition, what would experts say about it. And we were, on the one hand, inspired by all the things that are coming up but also like shocked what can happen and um, especially when you look about all the things that are researched on we asked ourselves at the same time what impact has that on design itself and that's why what the work is about we worked on a project but this was more a case that we thought about when someone has diabetes And we found there is a so-called implant that is doing diagnosis and healing at the same time. And when you have this implant, you still have diabetes, but you don't feel it anymore. We thought about how do we need now to design for a human that is having that, especially for a child that is growing up with it. How can this child still learn that it's not a healthy person? And what do we have to give it? So for example, when this child still has to eat sugar, we could imitate it with like this this known feeling of getting hungry and putting something into your belly. That was our case we worked on and went into future thinking and worked in more in an imagination on it. And then we thought about what new opportunities come for designers. What does cyborg descent design mean in general for design? We also tried to define this term for us as a team. Wow. So there's this element of, I love how you put
1: it, humans becoming more like robots and robots becoming more like humans and somewhere meeting in the middle and sort of designing for that scenario. It sounds like there's a, a lot of your time is spent thinking about how to solve problems for our future. And a lot of that involves predicting for what will happen and analyzing today and seeing its impact on tomorrow. Uh, another thing I can relate on, because in my past work, it was also focused on technologies for the future and exploring how AR and VR and drones can solve organizations' problems. And I personally also love thinking about more complex solutions for complex problems we face today. But I'm curious, what draws you to those sort of problems that you want to solve?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think in the beginning, it was not that clear maybe how it is right now. For me, when I look back at um, our work, because it's a quite critical topic. Sometimes we also had big discussions about in which direction should we go because you can have so many opportunities about it. A thing I'm interested in or I also want to work on more on the future because I realized with this work, how big the impact of a designer is or can be because we get client orders every day. Sometimes we challenge them, but we don't really ask more deeply behind the why. That's why what I experienced that I'm sometimes not really thinking, how could this, what we are doing, be turned around or be misused in a way. And I think sometimes it feels like you're doing things that are not really needed. But in the end, Someone will do it anyways, and then the question is more maybe we um, should think deeper behind how can this be also used differently in the future, for example, when you're making a messenger. That came clear to me, especially with the cyber technology. I felt somehow weird designing for it because I don't agree with all the things that are happening in there. But it became also more clear to me that we have to think in different directions behind it in order to understand what impact it might have with future. Future thinking, or what's speculative thinking, design methods.
1: This brings about actually a video I watched recently. It was a discussion on is it possible to transfer a human's brain onto a computer so that they can potentially exist after they pass, which is a a big issue. But I I also found fascinating around that was there was a whole group of people that were less concerned with the possibility and the technology and Mm -hmm. more concerned with sort of the ethics of it. Mm -hmm. And the role of technology in extending what a human is able to do sort of sometimes presents moral complications. I'm just kind of curious if you have been part of those discussions before or in your kind of research, you've stumbled upon what the hot topic was there, what people are talking about?
2: Yes, this was more the basic of our thesis, so we went into lots of theories and talked also to the science behind understanding people's social... um, Social um, psychology? Yes, I think somehow like that, yes. One big question is the question about what is nature and what not, because you can see nature as it was from when the earth was created, but then humans used methods and enhance the world and what is now in nature and what's not. So this was a big discussion and which is still a super interesting topic. Afterwards, we also did workshops for students and we also tried to let them create projects that are opening a discussion in the end. So people look at it and can develop their own viewpoint on it. I think those are still things we, we tried to cover there.
1: Was there a lot of collaborating with different teams and people when you were trying to come up with these solutionings? In my experience with design thinking, usually you bring in many different groups of people to get their perspectives, just so you're solving for not just one problem, but a lot of people's at once.
2: I think in the end, it should have, or this topic lives from collaboration and different viewpoints. But when we initially started with it, we started on such a theoretical basis that the outcome was in the end a video about the topic, which introduces it, which is a call for designers to deal with the topic. Then on the other hand, we came up with opportunity areas around the topic, how can designers use this in the future. So this was then the basis now for starting this conversation about it. And for example, when we had our final exhibition at the university, we had so many interesting talks about it. It was nice to see all the reactions um, about it. Afterwards, also the next semester dealt with the topic and there was also now an exhibition built up on it. Yeah, it's great that we somehow achieved that people are talking about it and, and thinking about it and that it opens now other doors where other designers are building up with their ideas on top. So fast forward to
1: today, you're working, I, I believe you said independently, but I could be wrong as a designer.
2: I'm working right now in an innovation consultancy.
1: Is there anything you can share on the projects you're working on or in the past that made you very
2: excited to be a part of? I think all of them are somehow, for example, one project was um, in the end about logistics, but it had a clear impact also on the truck drivers. So. I think that was proud in the end to see what changes you can make on a more strategic level, which was more connected to numbers in, in this environment. But then in the end, that you can also bring value to the driver themselves. Trying to be aware of all the different um, people involved was was definitely nice. In there, the project I was working on right now is more in the health sector. It's for a clinic that want to help people um, living a more healthier life, and they see health as a quite broad topic, not just on mental health, also nutrition and all the topics. And I think also nice to see how people react on it and how yeah, which things you can bring to them, but it's maybe a little bit abstract. <laughs>
1: I can imagine there's so much satisfaction with what you do just because in a way you're solving for humanity, right? I think a lot of the times people's jobs are focused on boosting business performance, optimizing for that. But in your case, it sounds like you're really trying to help people. And there's a lot of things that you could do to expand what humans are capable of and try to solve their complicated problems. And so that's really nice to see and understand that sort of these roles exist, If you had a piece of advice that you could give to someone who wanted to do similar things to what you're doing today, what do you think you would share with them?
2: I think I would reflect a bit how I started with all those things and what challenges I had or am having. The core thing I realized for myself is the importance of communication. On the first hand, you either have to understand the circumstances, you have to understand your own thinking, you have to communicate rightly. So this um, sender-receiver problem, do you say things right? And then ask the person, the same language and all the things. And I realized that I had the biggest issues but also the biggest wins with communication. That's definitely a thing I am right now trying to pay more focus on, find a good basis of communication and to be aware of how is the person in front of me, it could be the, the colleague, the user or the client. Um, How is this person reacting? Because if this is not a good basis to communication, then I think a project cannot really work. And I think another thing is being somehow proud of failures because of the learnings you made by that. Um, I tried in the beginning to do, do everything perfect, and I stressed myself a lot. And those are things that I'm trying a bit to push down and to value failures and to bring things to a certain point that I can let it review and then to make it, to bring it to another point and not just being in my box. I love those advice. Just
1: a recap there. One is, especially when you're dealing with such abstract topics, communicating clearly and gauging the understanding level of your audiences is, is pretty key it sounds mm-hmm. like. And then two is failure is often perceived as a negative thing. But in reality, it could be a blessing in disguise because it helps you learn that much quicker, pivot and then find the right answers. So that's mm-hmm. great. And what do you think about the flip side of it? Do you have any sort of advice for people that are senior to you in your field based on what you've
2: seen and interacted with them on? I think what put it more as a wish and like maybe learning from their failures and that they focus on telling those stories. And many people I I know do, but I think that's generally And I think to learn and to learn from their knowledge and all the things. And who do you think one person that listeners should know about is? It's pretty hard for me to really say this is the one and only, but in general in my life. So I'm pretty bad at making decisions. And I first thought it's something back, but I think it's also good because when I think now at persons in my life, I learn from so many people. That's why I don't have one specific in my head that I would point out.
1: I know this question is always hard because for me, I'm like I don't know. I had that professor in university, and yes. then I had that <laughs> woman I once when I was five years old that had an influence on my life.
2: Could you can you answer that question?
1: <laughs> you know, I. I- I did answer that question once because I was a guest on this specific podcast and I said a designer who challenged a lot of norms. So he kind of broke out of the shell of what being a good designer was and redefined it. And I liked that kind of rebellion streak in him and or anyone else. I guess it, it's at the end of the day, it's less about the person that I really liked, the, the concepts that he was trying to spread.
2: That's a good point, because when I thought about who would be a good supervisor or a good like person I want to learn from, I usually want to learn from people that I have another mindset or not really the same background from my same university, because that's the, the comfort zone I, I grew up in. So I more want to learn about people that really challenge me and bring something um, different in my mind and make me thinking.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I remember something that you said earlier, which uh, makes me curious now to learn more about is this idea of, and, and something you just said, which is like not sticking too closely with what you're currently involved with and sort of exploring other topics and ideas in hopes that they might influence what you're doing today. And then you can think differently about whatever it is you're trying to think about. Are there areas or hobbies or interests that you like to delve into that seemingly is not design-related at all, but in a way affected in the end.
2: Definitely. I do love cooking, and I do love experimenting with cooking. And I used to stick a bit to recipes, but now I get more inspired and do it by myself. So that's definitely a thing that I'm exploring, and I also like to dig a bit deeper into one recipe and try different variations of it. In general, when I'm, for example, meeting with friends, I'm not the type of person that loves being in huge crowds so I more enjoy being with one or two people and also cooking for them having this closer connection deep conversations instead of being in a bigger environment and I love doing walks outside to reflect my thoughts because I used to be more when I go out I need a goal to go and without I couldn't really walk now it's more that I put myself into the situation that I just go somewhere randomly and try to explore things that's what I also sometimes try to do in in work, trying not to, to stick to this one thing, try to be open. And yeah, I love that.
1: It's this idea of just being open to explore without necessarily having
2: a goal in mind. But it's also hard often, to put yourself into that. Oh, it's so
1: hard. It's like, okay, what's the point of picking up this activity or this sport or, or this interest when I'm not going to be great at it. But the thing is, you don't know that or greatness comes over time with practice and Sometimes you just have to put one step forward for the next one to follow and then over time you're like, oh my god, I'm in Asia all of a sudden and I've traveled so far. It sounds like you love exploring new ideas, tweaking little things here and there, even if it's a recipe to come up with something new you haven't tried before. Are there any books or podcasts or sites, anything that you like to go back to? Because it's
2: always a good time there. It's also like with the question of the the person I would recommend to listen to. (laughs) I think that's the same for me hard to say, because I think with reading or listening to things it often depends on what kind of language or communication style like so i we don't have something specific but yeah I, I i also just read a book about um spaghetti pomodoro because i love it and um, it was an gift from a friend and i love to dig deeper into what's the roots of it and the book was not only about what is the root about the spaghetti it was more about what thing have people with finding the root of something and is this so important to find the root or is it more important to um, see how many roots made you come to this moment you're having right now? I love these two levels of talking about one of my favorite topics, spaghetti from and then um, talking also about more from a scientific or from the social aspect.
1: I like this concept of trying to like go backwards a little bit to figure out the reasons behind why something exists or why they are today. I was reading this blog online recently, and I, I am going to butcher the explanation of this, but he was basically questioning why do people say bless you after a hiccup? Mm-hmm. And then he went back and you know did the readings to find out it was related to a very religious reason. And in fact, the cause for that now is seemingly quite outdated and just doesn't really fit into our what most people believe. So he has himself dubbed saying bless you as something he'll never do again. And I was like, that's pretty fascinating. I know it's a very mundane little thing that not everyone thinks about, but just Mm -hmm. applying that sort of thinking to question, why is it that I do this thing every day or every time this comes up, I respond in this way, working backwards to figure out the route and then deciding from there if I should continue or should I not is always an eye-opening exercise I find.
2: This is sometimes so interesting. I also love to Google sometimes things that I hear first time or when you you sometimes read so so funny stuff about it, I have a colleague. She sometimes sends me some facts about things we talked about and the small things. There are so many stories. Fun fact. On a fun fact is I used to actually have that in my dating
1: profile. I'd be like, "Tell, tell me a fun fact," and mm-hmm. everyone would always open with a fun fact, and I and then I used to collect those and then put it in a note myself, and then I just had this note of so many like <laughs> random guys I never came across. <laughs> you know, it was so great to speak with you about everything that you do. It's a topic that I'm personally really interested in. So I think just having your thoughts on it was very eye opening. And we believe everyone on Bezier should get paid for their time. And so the profits from advertising on this show are shared with our guests. And with that said, are there any other ways that our listeners can support
2: you? No, I don't really have a platform where they can support me, but I'm happy to, to hear maybe some thoughts about what they heard now um, about our conversation. I think that's already a nice way.
1: Nice. There's a, a point where we're going to tweet this out and share it on Twitter. So maybe we'll find you there or anywhere else that you like to have a presence online.
2: I deleted all the stuff some time ago because I am, so Facebook and Instagram and all the things because it didn't give me really a lot and I felt a bit weird with most people putting themselves into a perfect light in there and I, I felt weird with it. I decided not to use all those things to put my days more in going out for walks because I'm hanging all, all day on, on my laptop and now, especially now when we all have these conferences the whole day over the laptop, I try to reduce my time outside of, of work than all the things. I
1: hope to one day be walking in Germany and bump into you then in that case. <laughs>
2: Or maybe in Canada when I'm visiting my friend.
1: If you ever visit Toronto.
2: She wants to move there, so maybe there's a chance.
1: (laughs) Oh, there you go. Two for the price of one.
2: Well, Anna, it's been
1: so great to have you. Are there any final words you want to share with the audience before we wrap up?
2: I think it was a great experience. It was my first podcast experience. So thank you for the invitation. Um, And um, yeah.
0: Bezier is a design interview podcast amplifying voices in our creative communities that don't already have large platforms and aren't working at big five tech companies. We focus on finding guests from all over the world and representative of as many of us as possible. If you have a great guest idea for Bezier, please email us at inquiry at That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at Z-A-C-H-T dot studio.